This is an AMI podcast. I'm Kelly McDonald. I'm Ramia Amadin, and this is Kelly and Ramia. Live from the Accessible Media Studios, this is Kelly and Company. Entertainment, lifestyle, and great conversation. It's AMI Audio's on air community, Muthan. Well, would you look at that? It is Friday. We've made it here. It's been pretty hectic of a week for us. Um, just, you know, it's been, as always, just kind of riding it through, pushing, and sometimes uh, just keeping our fingers crossed that we can make it through. And it's always fun because you're still in the back trying to enjoy the rest of um, August summer days. So. It's really nice. I've been taking a lot of walks and it's actually very nice to go into trails. I live basically right on a busy street, super busy in Toronto, um, always on and most main streets, but this one is particularly busy. Uh, the thing is, though, right behind me, kind of in the back, not too far away, are uh, a whole bunch of trails. And that is beautiful because you go in and the deeper you go, the less that you hear the city noise. So you get to get get to have a little bit, not necessarily forest bathing, but enough of it to feel like um, you've done some mini camping, some mini rest and relaxation, walking through nature. And uh, other people are doing it too. You know, the the earlier I wake up, the more I realize, oh, other people actually do get up at this time and go walking. And it's not just uh, everybody sleeping until when I get up to go and do things out in the world, even if it's just leisurely walks. So you know, it's nice. It's very nice. All right. What else is nice is what we get to talk about here on Kelly and Company on uh, Fridays. So let's get to know what's happening on the show. The Apple Watch could become a self-check tool for heart attack symptoms. We're going to learn more about this with John Beeler of The App Show. Also, new Robert Half research shows 25% of Canadian workers are worried about losing their job if the economy worsens. We're going to dive into this with Michael French, returning guest and good friend of the show. He's the national director for Robert Half Canada. If you're ready to pair your favorite food with an audiobook recommendation, well, there's a quiz out there by Book Riot that's doing exactly that. Ryan Hui is going to tell us more about it on the Chatty Book Show. That's in the second hour of Kelly and Company. Okay, so I talked about Apple. Um, good news about Apple, but there's actually some bad news. So we're kind of getting ahead on this app update stuff. Apple's warning its customers that there are security vulnerabilities in its phones, tablets, and computers all over the uh, ecosystem that could allow hackers to take complete control of the devices. Apple is telling customers to update their devices immediately out of concern hackers could strike. The company finding a vulnerability in its operating systems that gives hackers the ability to take control of a device, install an arbitrary code with, quote, maliciously crafted web content. The vulnerability affects iPhones dating back to the 6S model through current models, as well as the iPad 5th generation and later, the iPad Air 2 and later, the iPad Mini 4 and later, all iPad Pro models plus the 7th generation iPod Touch. Derek Dennis, ABC News. And the iPods aren't even a thing anymore. And they're still being warned against. Obviously, some of us still have these devices around. Uh, Pretty scary. I mean, 
the, the default way to deal with updating our devices is by telling our phones and, and uh, computers and tablets to automatically check for updates while we're sleeping, while it's on charge, while there's internet, you know, just having all that set by default. Um, and for those of us that don't have that, then obviously, you know, as Apple says, encourage you to go ahead and update your devices ASAP. Um, the the worry is how big of a hacking this is a warning for, right? So all these devices, all these platforms, um, and all these models, and just as simple as a code, and boom. Now, they didn't go into detail about the after effects of being hacked, what um, your vulnerabilities look like afterwards. But, you know, you can only assume that it's everything and anything, right? We have... Um, we haven't necessarily moved on from passcodes and passwords and some people not even fully protecting their phones that way. Uh, not everybody uses the biometrics and we haven't moved to this fully integrated biometrics zone um, regardless. But, you know, as just like a average consumer who is not super up on their tech, um, I think that if my if the person can get into my phone then they might as well be able to get into everything else. Like if they can, you know, hack right into the device itself. Um, and that's probably the the part that you're trying to protect yourself from in the first place. Then, you know, does it take much to go into my, my apps, my accounts, my whatever's, does it take much to find my passwords? And, and it's a, it's a serious question. Like if you're the type of person who writes your passwords down, you know, wherever, just so you can remember it, or, uh, yeah, my one password is my password for everything else. Then you worry or you would worry if something like this were to happen. But anyways, going back to the beginning, you just want to protect yourself and update your devices. I do love the transparency. Um, there's always that reaction, right? Like, hey, how long has Apple hid this from us? Or not Apple, but enter any company name here. Um, and in this case, they are letting you know right away, which is pretty awesome. Um, and, and, and kudos in whatever way to that. Moving on to talking about mosquitoes, the timing of these subjects are so interesting. Yesterday, we talked to Susan Kearney, our gardener, um, and and just moving on from spraying our backyards and spraying our grass and spraying, et cetera, et cetera. But if you're spraying for mosquitoes in your backyard, scientists are saying that it may be doing harm to more than just the mosquitoes. Michigan resident Marty Marino says spraying for mosquitoes allows him to enjoy the outdoors. You like to be outside. Uh, it certainly makes it more pleasant not to be swatting mosquitoes. But John Meeker of the University of Michigan Environmental Health Sciences says toxic sprays can also harm wildlife that eat mosquitoes, such as birds and other insects like bees. If you're using a, a toxic chemical that's toxic to certain types of, of species like insects, um, you might expect to see some collateral damage. The journal Biological Conservation says more than 40 percent of insect species worldwide are threatened with extinction. David Price of the company Mosquito Joe acknowledges that we need our pollinators, but he says we also need to eliminate mosquitoes that carry diseases. I'm Donna Water. Hmm. What to do? Do we deal with mosquitoes in this very convenient, easy, but toxic way or do we um, deal with mosquitoes in other ways that may not be as effective, but, you know, 
still get the job done. I think uh, this conversation about like convenience versus everything else, like being mindful of the consequences um, of using these things for convenience, it, it goes in on so many levels. Uh, we talk about it with tech all the time, you know, putting our own vulnerabilities in. Uh, but with the with the conversation about um, nature and uh, the the world around us, it is pretty interesting. I mean, we don't read ingredients uh, off as often as we should. And I speak for myself when I say this also, like with food, with products, our shampoos and conditioners and lotions and, uh, you know, self-care and otherwise. And with these mosquitoes, yeah, you do want to enjoy the summer, but maybe there are other ways to, to deal with the mosquitoes. Matt Agnew, our uh, technical producer on the show, was talking about some supersonic ways. Maybe, if it doesn't bother the humans as well. We're going to take a break on Kelly and Company and be back with producer Jeff Ryman. He has our lifestyle report on Fridays. Friday afternoon edition of Kelly and Company. Thanks for joining us. And you can always take part in our conversations. Please do. We invite you to call us at 1-866-509-4545. And there you can leave us a message with a beautiful voice. And if you want us to play this message on air, please do give us permission to do that. Otherwise, we'll just listen to it and maybe comment a little bit about it on air. Also, feedback at ami.ca is our email address. And on Twitter... If you want to join all our uh, sufficiently social conversations over there, we are at AMI Audio. I'm your host, Ramia Amadhan, hanging out today solo. That is until we're joined by other people. Let's bring on Jeff Ryman for our lifestyle headlines. From fashion to travel, pets and more, we cover it all on the Lifestyle Report with me, Jeff Ryman. No long weekend for Jeffy this time around. Jeff, what's up? Not much. Happy Friday, Rum. How are you? I'm good. How are you? Are you I'm enjoying good, the good. last leg of August? Well, it's yeah. on technically not, but I feel like it is. <laughs> yeah, I feel like once you hit like the middle portion of August, um, you start to get a little bit sad because it's you know yeah, it's I know. just about over. Um, That's why it's a good time for the CNE though, and the PNE, and like all these other end is. of summer fairs. But yeah. still. And and then obviously for all the kids' sake, like the back to school shopping, I, I I figured as a kid, like it sucked actually going out and shopping because it was like a signal that school's right around the corner. But yep. at the same time, like back to school shopping was kind of fun because you get to get like new that binders or yeah, you get yeah. to get like all the new stuff. Like you're like, I'm gonna be the only kid with these pencil crayons, <laughs> and you end up yeah. going to school, and like, everybody has them. But like, it's just fun to go out. <laughs> it was like a yearly tradition with me and my mom. Like, we just mm-hmm. go to Walmart and pick up a bunch of stuff, and I was so stoked about it. And then you know, once you get back to school, you're like, eh, this kind of sucks. I want to, I want to be back on summer <laughs> I break. Know. It only takes the first day back to be like, oh, but yeah. you know what, especially the, the nerves that you're talking about going back to school too. Um, if you're going into like a new school or new, not a new grade, but you know what I mean? The transition years, like from um, 
primary school to middle school or middle to school yeah. to high school, those days were always a little more extra exciting for the clothes or the the school yeah. supplies or the backpacks. Do you know that my kid brother, uh, when he was going to grade one, he got like this porcupine backpack. It was ridiculous. And it actually had spikes all over it. I was curious. Did you ever go like um, real hardcore on your backpacks? No, probably back in the day. Like I'm talking grade one, two or three. I might have had yeah. like a Batman backpack or a Spider-Man okay. backpack or something like that. Uh, in yeah. high school, I, I just had the, a classic, I don't know, just plain old backpack that could fit mm-hmm. enough uh, for all my binders. Like, And the thing about high school backpacks is that either people had those really small like Jansport style backpacks where like you could barely fit anything in them. Um, or for like myself, I had a massive um, bag and I could fit everything in there, like everything and the thing must have weighed like 30 pounds like it was it was uh, getting up there in weight but no uh, i didn't have any crazy designs on my backpack yeah okay so uh porcupine is still the one to beat <laughs> with <laughs> out of this world back that's the champ <laughs> <laughs> exactly he also dressed as a hot dog for halloween one time i was like okay we don't <laughs> know you all right so <laughs> what do you have for lifestyle Yeah, I kind of want to stick along the same lines as uh, going back to school. And, you know, for me growing up, it was kind of like the same lunches over and over again. And obviously in high school, you know, some places have cafeterias. Then if you get lazy one day and you don't want to make a lunch, you can go out and potentially buy your own lunch. But for me growing up, it was always like just whatever deli meat sandwich every single day with a juice box, maybe a granola bar, you know typical put together school lunch. And uh, there's a great article that was on the Canadian press and it dives into like a a way to make lunches maybe more enticing for kids as they head back to school. Uh, And Ramya, I'm going to ask you point blank. Would you prefer to have a sandwich or would you prefer to have a wrap of some sort? Sandwich. I love sandwiches. I love breads. Yeah. Yeah. It it depends on my mood. Like if you're just going to have two pieces of plain old white bread with bologna in the middle, not I never very... said that. <laughs> Hold up. I did not sign up for like a basic peanut butter sandwich or bologna. I want an upgraded sandwich still. An but upgraded just, sandwich. The bread I'm talking. Yeah. With like a nice bun, maybe some lettuce and tomato on there, something Absolutely. along those lines. Yeah, I, I agree. You know, those not sandwiches. Like, no, not a cheese sandwich. Mm-mm. Ugh, no, no. They should not exist. <laughs> like craft singles with uh, just pieces <laughs> right. of bread. The ungrilled grilled cheese. Mm-mm, no bueno. No, 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 no. But I think I, I feel like wraps you can get just as creative with. And it's something different than sandwiches um especially for kids like it, they can be easily handheld you can have uh you know a wrap in one hand and go play soccer or whatever you want to do on your recess um in the other hand um but there's just something about wraps that are, are very enticing And this article from the canadian press sort of dives into some creative ways and on, on how you can explore uh, making your kids a wrap instead of a sandwich, uh, which I think, yeah. again, it, it's just something different, right? I mean, everybody always has sandwiches. You could be the cool kid with the wrap. 
um and, and again there are you can get plain flour tortillas or wraps um and you can get uh, whole wheat you can get protein enhanced wraps i mean the the sky is the limit with what wrap you actually want to choose but once you actually choose that the the, the possibilities are endless for what goes inside of those wraps so once you have that wrap picked uh, you can pick a spread or a condiment to go with your main filling. So you, I'm thinking mayo, mustard, jams, if you really want to go that way, hummus, barbecue sauce, uh, plain Greek yogurt, salsa, pestos. Pestos seem to be that new trend that are going viral on TikTok and social media. Um, so, I mean, those possibilities are endless. So pick um, your wrap, pick your spread. Then the fun part comes in here, Remy, where you get to actually get creative with your fillings, including sliced meat, if you want to go that route, mm -hmm. uh, turkey, ham, salami, prosciutto, buffalo chicken. Oh, I'm a huge buffalo chicken person. Uh, that would probably be my number one choice. Um, then you can get into cheeses. I mean, there's a, a billion cheeses that you can potentially choose from. Um, you can also get maybe even a little bit more fancier if that's what you're into. And too bad Kelly's not here because smoked salmon <laughs> is on the list. Um, you can put beans in there if you want to go with sort of a Mexican style wrap. Um, tuna uh, is another thing. You can basically make a tuna sandwich in a wrap. I've done it. It's actually pretty good. That's good. Yep. Same. Um, and then you can toast it too. Yeah. Like you can do whatever the, you want to it. Tortillas um, all together. Yeah. Yeah, and, and I feel like we've talked about food waste on here all the time, too. And leftovers, throw leftover steak, throw your leftover chicken, pork, fish, shrimp, tofu, whatever you have, throw that into a wrap. I feel like I'm really good at that. Like, sometimes I'll look through my fridge and be like, can I make a wrap out of that? Like, I've almost attempted to do a burger wrap because I ran out of buns, but I still had a couple of burgers left. I didn't do it, but, you know, it, it's just always um on my mind to see what can i put in a wrap <laughs> um so i mean those possibilities are obviously endless and then the extras that you can put in there too obviously lettuce tomatoes um pickles olives one of my favorite jalapenos um herbs mm -hmm. onions bell peppers avocado cucumbers mushrooms whatever you want to put in there go for it and I'm kind of salivating right now just at the fact of uh, making a nice wrap for myself. But again, wraps are fun. Wraps are something that I think a lot of kids can really get behind. And again, it's just something different than your traditional sandwich. So um, that is what you can put inside of your wrap. Remy, do you want to maybe, I don't know, do you have anything to say before I move on to the <sighs> wrapping technique, which I think is really important? Oh, no, well. that's the most important part because <laughs> I, I suck at it. You know uh, what, though? When you first asked wrap versus sandwich, I'm pretty sure I said sandwich because I can never get it to wrap proper. Like, it's just yeah, that easy. It's but, um, hard. It really yeah, is. It's I mean, really it's, it's kind of like an art. And it's funny, you go to like a burrito <laughs> place and you're just like, yeah, I want more cheese. I want more of this, more of that. And you're just like in the back of your mind, how on earth How are, they gonna are wrap you this? going to wrap that? But they <laughs> Somehow do it, manage though. to do it. So there is a technique to this. <laughs> there is a technique. Um, obviously, number one, don't overfill your wrap 
or it won't close. I think that's common sense. <laughs> um, I test that boundary, see, I think, every time that I make a wrap. <laughs> um, Same. You know, food I even falls do it out. In a bowl. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Um, and then you just need a fork on the side if yeah. that is the case. Yeah. Um, layer everything on about three quarters of the wrap, leaving a quarter of that wrap empty. And also leave a little space around the edges for those things to squish into the roll uh, or, or as you roll it up. Uh, so on the edge that has just one quarter with no filling, put a condiment on there, um, you know, mustard, mayo, whatever you want. Then you start rolling and uh, begin with the filled side closest to you, rolling towards the empty edge. The filling will slide into the empty space just a little bit and ideally leave you with enough room so the condiment at the edge will help seal that wrap oh, as you finish smart. rolling. It's almost like it's glue, but it's edible. So mm -hmm. um, I'm all for that. I, I, I will say, as somebody who eats quite a bit of wraps on a, on a weekly basis, um, it took me a while to get a hold of it. There are probably a thousand ways in which you can wrap it. Some people are monsters and just fold it like a taco and then everything falls out um, yeah. the backside. But honestly, it doesn't really matter. Fold it however you want and it's going to taste all the same. It's going, as my dad would say, it's all going to the same place anyway. Um, you know, it's going to be, it's going to end up in your stomach. It's going to be delicious. Um, so yeah, I, I think wraps, and I used to do this in high school too, um, you know, just as a change up. And it's fairly cost efficient too. Like wraps are definitely no more than um, a package of bread or um, buns or whatever to make a sandwich. And you can pretty much just put the exact same things in a sandwich as a wrap and you can have fun with it. So um, I thought this article was really fun, especially with school around the corner, or if you're on vacation and you're even going back to work, um, or you just enjoy a good wrap or need maybe some creative, um, a creative spark for your lunches or your dinners, because like I said, wraps are so good. So good. I, I feel like I shouldn't even talk after that because there's such an amazing way to end it. But I do want to say that I suck at wrapping wraps and this has been an absolutely insightful conversation do you have <laughs> do you have a favorite i don't have tips wrap? oh okay <laughs> <laughs> um i love anything with chicken in it but if i yeah. if i'm being honest with you most of the time if i'm eating a wrap it's a burrito like a nice. real big juicy burrito uh there's a place near me called grillies and they make some boss burritos and I don't nice. know how they wrap it. But they do cheat a little bit, though, because they then wrap the wrap with foil. So obviously it looks okay. really pretty at the end. Nice. Because, yeah, by the time so I'm you, done with all the fillings, it's pretty stacked. One mm -hmm. of my favorites is just you can meal prep this too. Um, grill up some chicken, cut it up, throw it in buffalo sauce. So you have your buffalo chicken. Make a wrap with whatever toppings you want. And then get a grill press or... Get your barbecue yep. hot or um, a pan that's hot and then get a nice crust on it. Make it nice and yep, warm. I love that. Mwah, so good. Jeffy. <laughs> mm -hmm. <laughs> okay, the awesome. We all know what we're doing this weekend. Exactly. Um, getting our wraps ready. Thank you so much. <laughs> See you, Rome. 
Jeff Ryman joining us on Fridays for Lifestyle. He'll be back on Wednesday for Health and giving us such good tips all the time. We'll be back with John Beeler for our app update on Kelly and Company. No time like the present to pick up a new podcast. What do you think, huh? It'll be pretty good to pick up a new podcast. And we have tons of those on AMI-audio that you can check out. Some of our original podcasts this week include uh, Shaun of the Shed, AEBC's Triple Vision, and Connecting Disability. So that's a lot of new episodes of the podcast that are out already. Uh, Also, for this weekend, you can look out for new episodes of Outdoors with Lawrence Gunther and My Life in Books. And hey, if you're paying attention to AMI Audiobook Review, we have new episodes weekly as well. That's on AMI Audio. You can find these podcasts by checking for them on your favorite podcast platform, whether that be on Android or on your favorite Apple devices. All right, let's get into our app update as we do every Friday with John Beeler of The App Show. This is The App Show, unlocking software secrets for smartphones, tablets, TVs, and more. John, off the top of the show, we were talking about um, Apple putting out a message warning about uh, hackers on all their devices. Pretty wild stuff yeah. right now. Yeah. Not good. Yeah. But anyways, we were just encouraging people to app- update their devices. Yep. You were going to say? I was going to say that. That's basically, I just tell everybody, just always update yeah. your device, especially when Apple tells you to. Because mm-hmm. they don't tell you to unless it's really important. Exactly. Uh, but some good news is that Apple Watch is potentially going to become a self-check tool for heart attack symptoms. So um, I was telling our friends on the morning show that this feels like it was already in the works because of all the other things that Apple watches um, have been capable of doing, especially when it comes to, you know, checking our heart rates. So what's going on here, though? Well, this is a really interesting development from the Texas Heart Institute, Uh, Some researchers there just published their findings. And what they were trying to do is trying to confirm whether or not the system for ECG functionality on an Apple Watch would be comparable to uh, a a more robust measurement system, uh, typically uh, for these types of um, diagnostic tests with an electrocardiogram. You would use a uh, 12-lead sensor, and basically you have a bunch of things stuck all over your body and that kind of thing. But the Apple Watch just uses a single lead, and you basically touch your finger to the crown, and that completes the circuit for it to do the test. And they found that actually it's pretty good at detecting things, uh, especially is a, a, as if, if nothing else, more like a, an early warning that something could be brewing. And so this isn't a feature that actually you know uh, will alert you yet in the Apple Watch. But they basically confirmed that the systems that are in place, if you do these regular tests uh, with your Apple Watch, are almost as good as the 12 lead. So the 
only thing that it needs from our end is just, you know, the same way that you would be checking for your ECG or, or heart rate, just put your finger on the crown. That's right. Yeah. So you do have, like, it's not like an automatic thing like your heart rate, which mm-hmm. happens in the background. You actually have to go out of your way to do this, but it's probably not a bad thing to just do this on a regular basis anyways, if you've got an Apple watch, um, it takes like, I think 30 seconds to do. So, uh, it's, it's not a bad thing, uh, not a bad investment of time in your health. No kidding. And the thing is, like, this technology, um, you know, people are working on the back end to compare, to contrast, and to to let us understand that, yeah, this technology is becoming so good that you could do this. Um, and then when you say, like, the early stages that something might be brewing, you know, do they give you, do you know about this? Like, do they give you messaging on what to do as a follow-up to checking? Well, I, I think the follow-up is to talk to your doctor. Um, right. But the, um, the 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 bottom line is is that they haven't quite determined like what that early warning time frame is. Like, is it? Mm. Do you have a few minutes? Do you have a couple hours? Is it a couple days? Those are things that the researchers are continuing to sort of figure out. Um, but uh, sort of their intent with this research is that if you have like a regular um, I don't know if daily is the right right amount, but it seems like it would be a good idea. Uh, regular uh, measurement uh, with your Apple Watch, over time, you'll see patterns, right? And, and right. those patterns, then the, the software could then figure out, well, hey, something's not right today. And that might be a trigger for you to go like, oh, okay, well, I should talk to my doctor, or go to a clinic, mm-hmm. go to ER, whatever is appropriate, depending on the severity of the of the alert. How much of this do you think we'll have trust issues with? Um, because it's such early detection, I'm curious, like on our end, as, as the people who are just checking, checking regularly, et cetera, um, it, you know, the the whole like see it to believe it notion, if you're not actually feeling symptoms, do you think that enough of us will say, or, or you know, how important is it that we we do say, okay, yeah, my, my Apple Watch is telling me that something's not right. I need to go and and double check this with a healthcare professional uh, rather than, you know, brush it off and go, eh, I'm not feeling anything I'm different. Fine. So <laughs> yeah. yeah, I'm fine. I'm good. Cause there's that denial of it um, anyway, right? Whether it's an Apple watch or not. Right. Right. Yeah. No, that's a great question. And it's funny. There's been some interesting studies about not just the Apple watch, but just smart watches in general and, and how much people actually, how much faith do they put in these systems when they do notice something that's right. health related that's that's not right and more often than not doctors are happy to have a conversation with you because you're interested in it then the negative like false alarm kind of thing you know sky is falling i'm dying kind of thing that mm. some people might you know bring to the table doctors encourage you to have these conversations early and often with them so it's it's not a bad thing, and I, I I think the trust thing that you mentioned though is really interesting because I'm I'm hoping that if you've gone to the trouble of setting up the health functionality right. on your watch, you're actually interested in what it has to say, um, and you're not going to put it off because you're at a kid's birthday or something like that because you might not be <laughs> at their next one. Exactly. No, it's it's morbid thoughts, but it's very true, right? And then the the. Yeah. 
the other aspect too is like, you know, is everybody turning this function on and should everybody do be doing it? And will we versus, uh, yeah, I already know I have a heart condition. I already know I have a regular uh, heartbeat or, you know, something along those lines. So I'm going to be checking more often than the average person with an Apple watch. So, uh, you know, especially because it takes that extra effort to actually do the 30 second thing, um, it means that we do have to put in that extra effort. It's the same thing for anything else though, right? Checking your sleep patterns with the Apple watch, checking your, uh, you know, your workout throughout the day, like your, how active you've been, et cetera, et cetera. Like you, you still have to put in the effort to use these tools as um, health check-ins. That's right. Yeah. And mm-hmm. I, I think more and more people are realizing that these are effective tools. So I, I think the trust is, is coming if it's not already here for a majority of people, especially when you're investing this kind of money in these devices. For sure. For sure. And then you keep hearing about how good they are, how accurate they're becoming and um, all that. All right. That's positive news. Or how many lives saved. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Um, Let's talk about Facebook and Instagram apps because now they can track users by their in-app browsers. Well, this is fun. Yeah. And actually it's, it's not just limited to Facebook and Instagram. This is TikTok, any social media platform where you click an ad or a link in someone's bio or any of those types of things in those uh, services, you're using basically your own version of a browser that that platform has provided for you to use. Well, as we know, uh, at least on iOS, Facebook had the door slammed on them for uh, not letting you, tra- not letting them track you uh, as you click through stuff and building mm-hmm. profiles about you. So this is one way they can get around that by adding those trackers back into your um, browsing. If you're using the browsing functions within Facebook and Instagram, and like I mentioned, TikTok as well. Um, so those, those sites have the ability to, to sort of bypass that stuff because you're in their world. You're not in Apple's world. Uh, and this is not uh, unique to iOS. This is also for Android. Uh, and the best thing to do is if you come across something you want to buy or you want to research or just click on anything, you can usually copy that link and then go to your browser and do it there. That will bypass the, the, the tracking mechanisms that Facebook and, and the like have added to those browsers uh, to, to, to track you, which if you don't want that, that's the only way to, to bypass that. So to clarify, like let's say we were on Instagram and we were scrolling and we hit a link in someone's profile um, and that link opens up in your Safari browser if you're using your iPhone. Um, is that still being tracked through TikTok? Uh, no, but only if you've made the effort to copy the link. It's that transition between you're inside the app, uh, you click it and it opens up like inside a little window uh, inside TikTok, inside Instagram, sometimes you'll be, uh, you'll get a message saying you're about to leave Facebook or you're about to leave whatever mm-hmm. to go somewhere mm-hmm. else. Um, that intermediary page is what's actually doing the tracking and they know where you're going. And in some cases that tracking uh, mechanism can live on as you're navigating through, say you're looking at a online store or something like that, anything that you've touched and even sometimes, uh, your keystrokes as well. Wow. Oof. This is very, yeah. very, very sneaky. And now it's like when I when yeah. I get those messages saying, "You sure you want to leave Facebook?" And now, now I understand they don't want you to because they want to keep track. 
making you whoops. That, okay. That's right. Yeah. All right. Good warning for this one. Let's get to the the last one on your list, John. Zoom uh, is rolling out of rolling out a fix for Mac app uh, security flaws that are going on. Yeah. So if you use Zoom on a on a Mac computer, um, you're going to want to update right away because there was a really bad security flaw earlier this week that they patched, or they so they thought, and so they've actually since had to put a, another security patch because it wasn't fully patched before. And this is a really uh, kind of evil thing, whereas if you were running um, Zoom, the, uh, the exploit basically leverages the installer, which requires special permissions to run in the background to do its thing. Uh, so when you, when you get an update and those types of things, uh, it all needs to be able to update your system at the system level. And so what hackers had figured out is you can actually use that to gain full access uh, basically as an administrator to your computer uh, and potentially, you know, modify, delete, add add files, whatever they were going to do. Um, it sounds like it wasn't extensively exploited, but um, like we talked about with the Apple stuff, just make sure every time you're going into Zoom, you're checking for updates or you have automatic updates turned on and then it'll, it'll it should patch it uh, good for you. But mm-hmm. it's just kind of a little disheartening that there was two patches this week for Zoom on Mac um, because of the problem was so bad. Yeah, and that's just for Zoom. And then, uh, you know, it's interesting that we're hearing so much about Apple to begin with of late, you know, hacking and security breaches and all of this. Yeah, I, I, well, I'm, I, I don't know what that what that says. Is that because it's a larger community now than it was, you know, hmm. so many years ago when Macs were sort of security through obscurity because there wasn't that many of them and everyone was on Windows and Windows was the bigger target for the hackers. But I think some of the software now is, um, you know, they rush it out for both platforms and maybe they're not, you know, some of these developers aren't doing all the checks and balances to make sure that those things are actually secure uh, on the Mac side. And we're seeing these. It it doesn't seem to be so much uh, the Apple system. It's more so these... um, uh, types of apps that kind of use some system level access to do what they have to do and and then essentially the hackers are, are uh, uh, basically sneaking in behind They're that in. particular yeah yeah it's piling up though i want to hear you know that apple's doing something more about this john thank you so much we'll catch you uh, next friday sounds great take care John Beeler of The App Show, who joins us every Friday for our app update. And we're going to take a break, but we'll be back with some new Robert Half Canada research about people being worried about losing their jobs. This is Kelly and Company. Don't forget that our monthly book for August, the book club itself, has been moved up one week. So we're going to actually be discussing it in the next few days, uh, August 23rd. It's not the last Tuesday of the month, but it is the fourth Tuesday of the month. We're going to be chatting about The Scarlet Letter by Nathaniel Hawthorne, recommended to us by Catherine Thatcher, and that's going to be at 3.30 p.m. Eastern time. So join us with your comments, please. You can leave that at one 509 4545 in a voicemail 
that you uh, give us permission to use on air or you can give us an email feedback at ami.ca and that's where you can reach us if you want to take part of our book club we love hearing your comments and we also love your recommendations so thank you in advance for those i'm ramia amadan this is kelly and company and we're going to be checking in with our friends from robert half canada uh, new research from Robert Half shows 25% of Canadian workers are worried about losing their jobs if the economy worsens. And we're going to dive into this with Michael French, National Director for Robert Half Canada. Michael, welcome back. Thank you for joining us on a Friday. Might be the first time Thanks we had you me, on Friday. Ramya. It might be the first time. Yeah, usually it's earlier, yeah. but I'm loving the Friday with you. Oh, me too. Thank you so much. So is there a certain age group? Like, let's get into this topic of people fearing losing their jobs and the economy and all that says. Um, is there a certain age group that's more concerned with this job security than others? Well, well, we surveyed, and so last times we've spoken, the word recession came a few times. And I promised to bring back some more information, so here it is. Recently, we surveyed nearly 600 professional managers in Canada, and we asked them about what's happening, and we actually used the word recession. So Mm -hmm. we came back with some information. I got to tell you, there's some interesting pieces in here and something that I thought was really impressive. So let's talk about the people who are concerned. So when we surveyed and and asked employees who was concerned, not surprisingly, the uh, the age group 18 and 24 were the most concerned at 53%. Now, okay. they're probably the most recent graduates. They're now right in the workforce. And this would be their first recession they've had to navigate. Now, the second group that's the second most concerned is the next one up, 25 to 40. But it drops down to almost 29%. If you think, think about that one, now, they, uh, many of that group may have been through that, that 2008 recession. So they've been through it already once. And now this could be their second one. So the biggest concern group was the 18 to 24 but here's what's great, and, and here's what I, anybody who talks about recession, I always mention a couple of these stats to them. And so when we ask managers what's happening out there, 40% of them said that in the second half of the year, their company's adding net new positions. So that, these are newly created positions. And half of them said, half the managers said, they're still trying to fill roles that were vacated in the first half of the year. So there's still lots of hiring out there. It's happening everywhere. Many firms are still adding. I love the net new role. So that was impressive. But here's what I thought was really interesting. When we asked them, so if you can't find people, we talked about the demand for talent so high, you can't find people. Who are you targeting to hire? 73% said they're going to hire entry level or early career professionals. And it seems like every student I talk to says they can't find a job. So now companies are saying, it's your time. We're looking for uh, new grads. We're looking for early career professionals. So the sun is now shining on all those new grads who can't find a role. The employers are looking for you. I thought that was very, very exciting. Well, it is definitely encouraging um, to know that the the group that feels the most most vulnerable or nervous about not being able to find a job slash losing the ones that they may have had for the uh their a small amount of time uh feel like they're losing it and then vice versa professionals or, or managers are saying hey this is the group that we want to hire but do we know why that is like are is there reasons for managers and employers looking in that age group um and and 
entry level versus people who've already been? Is it just a bigger pool of talent? Well, so it's a bigger pool of talent, but we've seen a couple of things over the, the COVID years here. We saw many people mm-hmm. that were the tail end of the boomers finally exit and retire. And then we've seen every sort of cohort move up. And that's created a big vacancy at that entry level or sort of less than four-year experience. So now as, as big cohorts have left the, the job market, we see everybody else sort of rising tide. Everyone's getting a promotion, moving up. That creates more of those um, junior-level roles, which new grads are perfect for. And we know the, the, a new grad comes to you with phenomenal computer skills. My goodness, they know Excel and Word and Access better than anybody else does out there. So they bring some immediate sure. value to a company. So they're, they're great new hires. I love placing a, a new grad in their very first role. It's very rewarding. Yeah. And as like the entire workforce reassesses itself and we know all the changes that people and uh, companies had to go through um, and having this, you know, the adaptability of on so many different fronts. Speaking of reassessing, um, are workers reassessing their skill sets in case they get let go? Like the people who are worried about it, the overall numbers uh, that are showing that people are worried about this? Well, and so that's a great point. So we recommend anybody who is worried a couple things. First of all, um, always be upgrading and upskilling. Keep polishing off your computer skills. Uh, learn some new functions in Excel and some new, new fancy ways to make those spreadsheets dance. But then again, don't forget about your soft skills. Keep focusing on growing your soft skills. Those are a very hot and demand skill. And if you are worried, make sure you do keep a current resume, keep it up to date and at the same time make sure you have a very robust LinkedIn profile and always be very transparent with your manager. Uh, Share share with them your fears. They'll, they'll many times they can actually provide some guidance and, and some uh, insight into what the company is doing. Maybe your fears are um, premature. Maybe they can provide you with some guidance as to there's a, we don't see that coming. And then again, stay very connected with your, uh, with your network. Whether it be if, if you're in that junior cohort, maybe you were a new grad who's hired, now you're concerned. Make sure uh, you stay very close to your, your colleagues from school. Stay in touch with all the, the groups that you belong to. And be very active on your social networks. LinkedIn is a great one to stay in touch with. Um, but those are some, some key, real key tips there. I really appreciate those tips because I think that, yeah, we can focus on um, the the computer side of things and making sure that we keep updated as we run into programs. So not necessarily proactively, but the soft skills are very important, um, especially as we go through these transitions out of the pandemic. That's really quite interesting. Um, Anything that employers are saying they're looking for particularly with these softer hard skills? Well, see what's interesting, and you mentioned the soft skill part, and it seems like in my 20 years of doing this, I always recommended people focus on the soft skills, refine your soft skills, figure out how to do better presentations. So, and we know there's a couple of things. Employers always hire for fit. They always want fit, and that comes down to soft skills. But then again, they're always looking for strong computer skills. Those two things, again, exactly what we tell can't focus on, many things that the companies are focusing on as well. But for people who are, who are working, you want to recession-proof your, your skills, I would tell you to get very involved in some projects. Uh, stretch yourself outside your comfort zone. If you can talk to your manager about getting on a new project, 
become invaluable to that company where they have to keep you around, learn some new skills, become a, uh, a person who can play in multiple positions, and you'll, uh, you'll have a job there for a very long time. Recession-proof yourself. Mm, I like that phrase, recession-proof yourself. And you, you're talking about this already, but you know these discussions, I think, are very, very important. We talked about the transparency with you in uh, a lot of our discussions of late, you know, just being open uh, with your employers to your employees, employees to your employers about uh, how you're feeling, what you need, what that flexibility needs to look like for you. And maybe that includes, you know, I want to make sure that I can stay here. I want to be sure that I'm offering um, my skills to you in a, you know, timeless manner. Uh, Is there anything else you want to say about those productive conversations with your managers? One of the, uh, one of the keys to success, whether you're worried about recession or anything, anything, the downturn, is having really good in-depth conversations with your managers. Transparency is the number one. Talk about where your career is going. Talk about what you could be doing better to grow your career. And talk about sort of what's next steps. What else do you have to achieve or accomplish for you to achieve your next level for whether it be promotion or project or, or right. level? So be very transparent with your manager and managers have the bravery to share with your, with your people exactly what they need to do. And where there is sometimes some unknown, don't be afraid to share that as well. You know what? Uh, we've been saying for, for a long time, we're in very, very new times here and not everyone has every answer clear. So if there is some uncertainty, make sure you share that as well, but then focus on the, on the positives. You know what? Hard workers have no problem finding a job. Top talent, yeah. hard work, lots of jobs out there. Absolutely. And so much adaptability as well. Uh, Michael, this is great. I, I always appreciate talking to you, but especially the, you know, real tactile tips that you brought, bring to the table um, are really great to note down. So appreciate your time and hopefully we'll have more of these Friday discussions. Fantastic. Thank you, Ramya. Say hi to Kelly for me. I will. When he gets back from vacation, Michael French is the National Director for Robert Half Canada. We were talking about Canadian workers who are worried about losing their jobs if the economy continues to worsen and what to do to continue remaining in that workforce. Next hour of Kelly and Company includes um, an audiobook talk with Ryan Huey on the Chatty Bookshelf. We're talking pairing our favorite foods with our favorite audiobooks. Very nice. Also, we're recapping some conversations from throughout the week on Cut for Time. That'll be myself and Matt Agnew. But after the break, we have The Buzz with Bill Shackleton on Kelly and Company. When you recognize sighted people just by their footsteps. Hello, Kevin. Howdy. You've got Kelly and Company on right now on AMI-audio. Kicking off the second gateway to your weekend. Woohoo! I'm Ramia Amuthan, and Kill McDonald has the day off. He also has Monday off, so I'll be back on Monday to wreak havoc on AMI-audio at 2 p.m. Eastern. We have lots to look forward to. Let's get started with the buzz with Bill Shackleton. Billy joins us Wednesdays, Thursdays, and Fridays 
at the start of our second hour. Uh, and we go through some interesting articles. Now, Billy, I don't know. I might not get as riled up as Kelly or as riled up as I would if Kelly and I were together. But you never know. You could probably get me all fired up on my own, depending. Um, West. Especially with the first one. Well, I was going to say, wait a minute, but it's also a Friday. So, you know, we'll see. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, I think I can get you. I think I can get you uh, quite an interest in this one. Okay. Bring it on. Um, Okay. Bringing us from global news. Everyone's talking about quiet quitting at work. Here's what it means. So quiet quitting is actually quite a phenom if you believe what TikTok is saying. So people are basically they're they're not quitting work, but they're not they're basically going they're they're fulfilling their job descriptions and no more. So what they're doing is they're not leaving. Yeah, like I'm going to get to something about, but they're not leaving. Um, early, they're not leaving late, they're disconnecting from emails after work. And I sort of get it in a way because our, as the article said, our lives are, our work and home lives are pretty much entwined. But is it, is this not a dangerous approach to take when you at work? I mean, you're only, you're doing the bare minimum. I thought you had to show initiative. Don't, I mean, to me, it's like, okay, if I'm an employer, and I'm looking at these people who are just doing the minimum and nothing more. Um, you're probably not going to lose your job because you're actually doing what you're supposed to do. But what happens if there's a, a crunch and we have to downsize? I, I, I just think you that's a dangerous picking? approach. Yeah. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean, it's um, it's a pretty hard situation to look at just as black or white, right, Billy? Because people are feeling something, something, you know, it could be different for me and you and everybody else out there. We don't have to be feeling the same thing, but we're all feeling something different than we did maybe two years ago, three years ago. Some people have gone through some major shifts in perspective in, uh, you know, balancing work and life in understanding themselves, uh, you know, the the efforts that they put into at work or at home, like whatever it is, people are going through some major shifts. And so because of that, um, this phenomenon of, you know, quiet, quietly could, quitting kind of feels maybe appropriate is not the word, but it feels like it's, it's meant it's going to happen. It's going to be happening. People are feeling something. You know, we just had this conversation with Robert Half, right? With uh, Michael French from Robert Half and talking about like, you know, are people worried that they're going to lose their jobs? And how do we express these worries or or anxieties um, could feel different for each of us? And I, I wonder, as you're saying, if push came to shove and if employers are feeling like, you know, the 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 systems that were in place before don't work anymore. And so we're going to have to keep a serious eye on um, people who are doing this, like just doing the bare minimum. Um, and, and what are you going to do? Start forcing people to do more? I think there's things that, that have to be reconsidered, right? Yeah, I, I, I guess so. And maybe I'm, I'm coming from the old school where you mm-hmm. actually went your beyond fight for the your call. stuff. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 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 And I understand that too. Like, that's the thing. As a person with a disability, 
you know, having any work at all, Kelly and I and you have, and many people on our show have said this, you feel like you always have to raise the bar for yourself, uh, no matter what's being asked of you, because, you know, you feel like you're always in competition because having work at all is a huge blessing. Like you're not just going to take for granted that you're a working person uh, as a person with a disability. And so you don't want to be the one to be let go because um, you decided you're just kind of writing it off. Yeah. And I, I, I question, I, I wonder how many workers like are, are actually afraid to take that, to do this. I mean, I don't know. I still think it's dangerous. I mean, I know I, I get it. Things aren't the same anymore. Um, but, but I, if I, if it were me and I, I would feel pretty scared if I didn't raise the bar personally, I would feel pretty scared if I didn't do it. Exactly. Because something in, you know, the, the deep rooted mentality of, oh my gosh, if I don't work my butt off, um, you know, and go exceed expectations all the time, uh, then I I might lose this job. Like it's that fear of the constant fear of probably losing your job to somebody else, somebody able-bodied, whatever it is. Yeah, Um, that's right. But yeah, at the same time, because we have so many of these conversations around mental health and the, the, the coming out of the pandemic and all these changes that people are going through uh, emotionally and personally, um, I can understand where people are coming from, where they're like, you know what, this is all that's required of me and I don't want to do any more than what's required of me. And that could be a bigger big picture conversation for employers. Why do most oh, of your I'm employees sh- feel like they don't want to do more than they have to is there something else that needs to be addressed yeah it could be um the the actual the article did say that it could shift the landscape but we'll see um yeah. we'll, we'll have to see how this goes um yeah yeah all right we'll keep posted but a uh, good discussion point though good thing to think about here's another one plane misses mm-hmm. landing as two pilots fall asleep during flight Oh um, pretty scary, pretty scary, a uh, plane that in, in an, an Ethiopian airlines plane was on its way to Ali Aspa airport. Um, and the pilots fell asleep. So there was basically what it did was it missed the landing. It descended and there was an alarm that went off to work to wake these pilots up. So they were able to land the plane in another location. But the problem was, um, there was a um, a flight. There was a, a a guy on YouTube went on well social media, and he believes or he has reason to believe that perhaps the the pilots were overworked and it was fatigued, and, and which is why they fell asleep. And this is something that is pretty scary, and maybe it's a conversation we should be having. Are pilots overworked? I mean, how could, why would two of them fall asleep? I mean, when you fly, it's pretty scary. You don't know how much, how much of a break they've had or how many hours they've flown. I just think this could be part of a larger conversation. And ho- hopefully it doesn't happen too many times. I mean, to me, it's pretty scary. Yeah, is there a, the potential that pilots are quiet cutting? No, that's a joke. Okay. Yeah, but that's listen, not that. 
no, but here's the thing, right, Billy? The you know, like I'm I'm sure you've done this. I've definitely done this where I think, oh, it, w- it would be a dream to be able to travel everywhere all the time, like as an air hostess or a, sorry, a flight attendant um, or a pilot and just be able to do all this, you know, just see new places all the time. But it's kind of this um, fake phenomenon. Like it's, it's the same as traveling for business all the time. You're exhausted. You're not really seeing the places. You're just kind of you know, going in, working, and then traveling back out. And the, I don't know, we don't, we don't necessarily worry about it because we're on such different uh, planes from, from people who have to work, uh, you know, these shifts, right? These uh, like circumstances. But now that stuff like this is happening, I hope it's not happening so much that we're talking about it all the time um we do need to consider yeah i mean what can you and i do not much but the people who are you know in charge the employers behind this need to um maybe talk about this like we talked about it with our frontline workers our nurses our doctors our er staff people are just exhausted like there's no way for them to do the amount of work that they need to and there's not enough people doing the work so uh like right now in ontario hospitals are shutting down their people are super overworked they're understaffed and yeah these conversations are probably need to happen everywhere i feel like it's we're gonna see more of this in all kinds of industries could be um yeah um like exactly it's you know, hopefully, yeah, it doesn't happen it's too dangerous. many times on a plane. Yeah, very, very dangerous. Yeah. It's very dangerous. Um, It's more than just like, uh-oh, th- that was a bad one. You know, like this yeah. is very bad for safety concerns. Billy, do you want to squeeze one more in? We have a couple minutes. Well, we can do um, New Jersey Beach Town Bar. Um, Happy, yappy hour, they call it. Let's dogs unwind with their owners. So there's a bar in New Jersey where you can actually take your dog, which is kind of interesting. They call it Yappy Hour instead of Happy Hour, of course. Yep. And there's a there's a the the dogs can play with each other while you have a drink, a cold one. They have uh, pools where they can you know do their thing, and they have toys and. Um, it's quite a an interesting bar because they've had Bruce Springsteen seen and John Van Joby there, and oh. yeah, it's um they have they have even dog bouncers that will go in and break up dog fights. It's kind of neat to take your dog to a, a to a lo- locations like this. I don't know whether there's any places in this country where you can take your dogs to a bar, but. It's kind of nice to be able to take your pet, I guess, to uh, yeah. to, to this and, you know, do your half thing. Half of us are saying we're us. trying to get away from our pets and that's why we go to the bars. But uh, the other half are saying, yes, I've always wanted to do this. Let's do it. Awesome, Billy. Thank you for these articles, man. We'll talk to you next week. Talk to you next week. The Buzz with Bill, Wednesday, Thursday, and Friday here on Kelly and Company. And after the break on Fridays, right after the Bill, or the Buzz, we have the Chatty Bookshelf with Ryan Hobie. We'll be back with that.
told you about our podcast. You can check it out on your podcast platform, uh, including Kelly and Company. We have our full show podcasts and we have segments available for you to listen to, like, reflect on and share. Of course, subscribe to the Kelly and Company podcast on your favorite podcast platform. You can also check out our repeats. Uh, 5 p.m. Eastern time is the Kelly and Company repeat in case you missed any of today's show We've had some insightful discussions that you may want to check back on. Some themes going on as well. I'm Ramia Amadin. You're listening to Kelly and Company on a Friday afternoon. And let's get into our Friday staple. This is the Chatty Bookshelf with Ryan Huey. Who knew an entire library could fit inside your pocket? My name is Ryan Huey. This is the Chatty Bookshelf. And we talk all things audiobooks. Ryan, it's like new releases month season what is this <laughs> hey thanks for having me back uh, you know what we can call it a season but um the two best times for new releases are june for audiobook month obviously and you know unfortunately yep. you know summer and august are winding down we're getting back into the back to school kind of uh season the fall season autumn and that's when you know you snuggle up with your favorite hoodie and you listen to an audiobook, right? So a lot of new releases are coming out and the amount of emails I'm getting just from different uh, vendors, different, uh, you know, production companies and stuff like there's a lot coming out. And that's not to say there's not every other time, but mm-hmm. particularly this autumn, I think that there's going to be quite a few uh, Audi candidates for sure. And New York Times bestsellers that are released. Yeah, I mean, I remember checking in January, like literally at the start of the year, uh, about anticipated books for this this year, and everything was set to release September, October, that kind of thing. Like I think it's just the the time of year that most people hop on. Um, but there's a lot coming out. I I can't even fully remember. There's nothing particularly I was looking at, but uh, there were some great new titles, authors, um, you know, series being continued, et cetera, et cetera, like lots of stuff coming out. No, you're absolutely right. And it kind of almost goes up until like the Black Friday, uh, Thanksgiving Thursday for uh, the our American friends. That's kind of mm-hmm. the, where for, you know, from September to then, that's when a lot of the books will come out. And it's really cool because now you're getting the ebook, the print book and the audiobook all released at the same time or very right. close to each other. So it's kind of like, hey, pick your poison, right? Whatever you like, whether it's print, whether it's electronic or, you know, the audio, it, it all can be yours. And uh, I'm really excited because a couple of my favorite authors, I don't know this for sure, but they've kind of come together on uh, a project and it looks like it's going to be the last book of a series. But what they've done is almost split it into three books. I don't know how that looks pricing wise or anything, but it just says, hey, this is like part one, part two and part three. I don't know if you buy them as a as a one or as a, as three separate, but I'm, I'm super pumped about it. And I think this might be, uh, the series unfortunately coming to a close, but if the ending's right, how do, how do you go wrong? How do you be mad at that? Mm-hmm. That makes me like when you get to the last book of a series, especially if it's, you know, already been publicized, it is going to be this, it is ending at the, um, uh, the, the trio, the trilogy, uh, it doesn't make you sad even before you start because you're like, oh, I know this is going to be it. 
It, it does for a minute, but then as you start to get into the listening or to the reading, do you know what I kind of look for? I look for like, mm-hmm. oh my God, that's a spinoff character. Let's have a spinoff series. Let's have a, oh, okay. um, you know, I, I'm always into yep. that. Where are you leaving this? Right. So I do like a little bit of controversy, a little bit of open endedness, as long as the major questions have been answered. But I like there to be a little something at the end where it's like, oh, where are they going to go with this? Are they going to go anywhere? Because sometimes... You know, questions that are left unanswered are kind of good in the book world, right? But I think that that there's all leaving that option open really, uh, really brings the fans kind of closer together. You get the blog post, you get all of the the attention, you know, the the Goodreads uh, posts and everything kind of, yeah, right? Mm -hmm. And it's like, where are they going to go with this? And it's really funny when people are right because they don't let you forget it. Look at this post (laughs) I did five months ago and now it's being released. It's, it's, I I really enjoy those people on, on Goodreads. Uh, oh man, when is the Game of Thrones fans going to get that satisfaction? I knew it. I was right 10 years ago when I put this post in. <laughs> we'll see. Oh man. Well, I I for sure am a pessimist on that end. I, I don't, um, like if I know it's going to be the end, I sometimes won't even start. Like a lot of things what? I start after. Yeah, no after everything finishes, you know, with TV especially, but after the whole series is done. I'll go absolutely late to the game, like so late that I know that there's no, there's nothing happening right now. I'd rather do it that way than to anticipate and then be bummed out because it's the last season, the last part of the series, you know, like, uh, yeah. Sorry, guys. Just can't do and it. And see, I'm the guy that working up to that book, if it's a trilogy, like I'll read book one. It's like, oh, no, I got to wait hyped. a year for book two. Yeah. And it's like, oh, yeah. book two came out. Uh, I'm done in a week. Oh, I got to wait another year. So um, oh my I, 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 I kind of gobble it up uh, as quickly as I possibly can. That's and I, I have, you know, when it comes to satisfaction, I have, I'm so impatient. It's just I want things to happen <laughs> now. Like <laughs> The dopamine it. Exactly. Yes. Yeah. Very cool. Uh, also, going back to something else, you said, can we really pick a favorite hoodie? I have so many hoodies and they're all my favorites. You're telling me you don't have a favorite? <laughs> wow. You know what? Yeah, Mine know. is all grungy, gross, and dirty. And it's probably like 15 oh, okay. years old, but I'm not. It's, it's until it's, it's still your favorite hoodie. Yeah. 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 Okay. Absolutely. Very good. So there's something else you want to talk about today. It's kind of cool uh, because it includes two of our favorite things in the world, right? Well, if you're talking about me and you, then absolutely. But I think a lot of people <laughs> yeah. uh, love food and they love audiobooks. So our friends over at bookriot.com have put out this survey. And what you do is you kind of go in and you answer some questions and it pairs you with an audiobook based on what your favorite foods are. And I thought, you know, nice. what, what's going on here? And then all of a sudden I started doing it and it was addictive. I think I did it five or 10 times and I just, I couldn't stop. It's really, really cool. Uh, and Is that cheating? Um, five or 10 times? So you, you lied about your favorite food? Well, no, over you can have more again. than one favorite. Well, you can have more right, than fine. one favorite food, right? Just sitting I mean, on the fence do, here. Do you eat the same you? food every day? No, or you get the but, craving, uh, right? Yeah, right. So but here's I think the thing: that... you're just—I know what you're doing. You're just looking for the recommendations. <laughs> well, yeah, <laughs> I just I mean, know. my to-read list is only at what 165 or so right now. I mean, I need to wow. push that up a little more. But uh, no, I. So what kind of happens is you go in and let's say my first one, I pick chili. I'm like, okay, chili's mm-hmm. my favorite food, and you, you do that. You know, you let the computer do its algorithm magic, and it spit out Brink of War, which. I happened to have bought three months ago. I just haven't read it. So I'm like, okay, maybe I need to go over to Tim Hortons, get some chili and let's see, let's see how this does. But uh, it, it was just really cool. And then I started looking through the foods and I'm like, what? I, I, I sort of got to thinking, 
what book could you possibly pair with this or what genre, you know, it's like, you know, like a charcuterie board or uh, there was, there was a ton of different ones. There was hot dogs, there was all kinds of fancy pasta dishes. Some, I didn't even know what they were. Uh, there was like garlic huh. bread, um, chicken fingers, right? I, I, I almost did that one just to see what the plain Jane sort of audiobook title is. Um, you know, is it like go dog go or something? I, I just wasn't sure. And I, I really wanted to, to see all of the, the recommendations. So you're right from, from the side of it, I was getting recommendations, yeah. but I was also like, what, what could you possibly, you know, recommend for someone that's eating uh, chicken fingers or there was ice cream was one. Uh, there's everything from desserts, snacks, appetizers, all the way to like full course, like fancy, fancy steak and, you know, surf and turf meals. My goodness. A lot of international food too. Uh, and we all, okay. you know, Siri, Siri did not do too well with, with the pronunciations, but you kind of got uh-huh. a sense of what, what she was trying to say. So here's the thing. Um, this can be so, you know, rudimentary, like where they just, you know, you choose your food and then they just say, okay, here's an audiobook recommendation. And it's just whatever, like no thought process at all. But I'm curious if there were actually elements from the foods that they were trying to pair with the audiobook itself. Like, was there any explanation when you got the recommendation on why that was picked for you? Oh, I didn't even look that far. I kind of just scrolled down and was like, okay, here. And then it's like, it gives you the option to add to your uh, wish list in Audible or mm. add to uh, this sort of thing. So I was just really clicking on those. But um, interesting, I chose um, some Japanese sushi dishes and it actually gave me the uh, the coffee. I for, I'm forgetting the title of it, but it's the coffee shop where you go in and you drink the coffee and it's in, uh, it's in Tokyo and you travel back in time and uh, until the okay. coffee gets cold. It's like... Uh, until the coffee gets cold or something like that. So that's how much time you have to travel back in time. It's a really great story. Um, and it was interesting because I'm like, I wonder if that has some sort of element there too. Like, or is it completely random? It's like, oh, this guy chose chili. He's the right. 50th guy that chose chili. We're just going to give him, <laughs> boom, you, you know, to kill a mockingbird exactly. or whatever. So it could very well be random, but it's a whole lot of fun, regardless if it is or if there is some thought behind it. It's, it's really fun and really yeah. addictive to get into the sort of the surveys thing. So I hope they do a little bit more like this. Um, I mean, you could probably do it with like wine or um, sports or any, any kind of thing, right? Uh, you could probably just start pairing audiobooks with any of your favorite things, clothes, that sort with of whatever thing. Whatever you want. Right? Exactly. Yeah. But, you know, if we were to create one, it would definitely have to be deeper than just, oh, the 20th guy to pick uh, this hoodie gets this book there'd have to be some element and maybe you had to kind of search for the element in the book. Like maybe they don't tell you right away um, why they chose that book for you. You're supposed to discover that as you read the book. Cause that's cute. Right. So, you know, what did, what came up when you uh, put in Chile? Uh, Brink of war. Oh, okay. Okay. So, and it's so pretty I much, wonder. um, Mm-hmm. It's pretty much Air Force One crashes and they got to go save the president in like a, a foreign country kind of thing. Um, I, it's getting good reviews. Uh, it's, uh, it's a thriller, so I'm 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 going to be into it probably this weekend, maybe uh, maybe next week. But uh, you know, I now I I have to eat mm. chili. It's just it's changed my opinion. I don't know that I could you listen while chili. not eating chili. Yeah. Right. Okay. Maybe it's about the the chili itself, or maybe it's the time of year that you would have chili. You know, like cold or weather, where? cold climate. <gasps> yeah, yeah. Where it's mm-hmm. from. Okay, or maybe there's going to be like a bean farm <laughs> somewhere in maybe the book. They, maybe one know. of the characters' names is Chili. I don't know. Yeah, it could, it could be literally, you could be right. It could be anything. 
but I really like the idea. It's a lot of fun getting a lot of traction and a lot of people have been retweeting and commenting and said, Hey, I got this. I, I chose this food and I got this book. So it is, it is different because there's been like two or three people uh, I saw. They're like, I chose ice cream and I got this book. And then another person would say, I chose ice cream and I got that book. So it was really, really oh, cool. Different. They posted it on uh, Facebook, on Twitter. And uh, there is a website. Uh, I, I don't know the URL, unfortunately, but I'm sure if you type in like they're, they're calling it the audiobook cookout. So if you search that on Google, I'm sure. It oh, will come nice. Up. Yeah. That's it's even got awesome a fancy name, it. right? Yeah. Yeah. Was there anything else you picked? You said you did a bunch of times. So other than chili? Ooh, there was the, the uh, there was the the sushi dishes I picked. And then there was mm-hmm. um, I'm, 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 I'm drawing a blank. You put me on the spot. Uh, I chose hot dogs. Just I was I was doing the most random like I think I was in a sports like dirt ball <laughs> food mood. And I was like, OK, I'm going to choose like chili, hot dogs, pizza. Like I chose all of those kind of foods. And uh, it was a lot of like thrillers and mysteries. Uh, if I could genre them, uh, for sure. I'm just forgetting some of the names off the top of my head. I'm going to go back and look at them and I'll, I'll report back to you guys next week for sure with yeah. some of the titles that I did get. Yeah. Yeah. I'm curious about that. I'm definitely curious about this whole thing. I mean, I, maybe I'm thinking too deeply into this and the, the people who created are like, dude, whatever. We just, we just, uh, piled up books for people. We just you know? put it in a code. But- yeah. We just put in a code and it just it spits out whatever. Yeah. Exactly. But you know, the, the, the best part is now your read list is finally, um, up to par because, you know, you were running out of books. So thank God for this quiz. Is that a thing? Can you, can you do that? Is that something people do? They run out of books? Can you run out of books? I mean, some of us, right? You wouldn't know anything about that, but not you. No. Awesome. Well, this is great. And, uh, you said it's called book riot. Yeah. Mm Bookriot.com. And then it's called okay. the audiobook cookout. Audiobook cookout. Okay, everybody, go in, put chili, and see what you come up with. Thanks so much, Ryan. We'll talk to you next no, have week. Have a great weekend. Take care, guys. Thank you, Ryan. Who he joins us on the chatty bookshelf every week, and wow, just what I'm. What I really got from the segment is that we don't know what Ryan's favorite food is because he just wanted to get more books. Anyway, after the break, we're gonna we're gonna recap some conversations from the week on Cut for Time. That's uh, Matt and I will be doing that on Kelly and Company. Excellent Friday show here on Kelly and Company. Thanks for joining us. This is on AMI-audio, and we have lots of fun on Fridays talking audiobooks and talking uh, app updates and tech updates with John Beeler. And, of course, the buzz with Bill Shackleton, lifestyle. It's just a lot to go around. And, you know, we have these great conversations throughout the week, so sometimes it's nice to just reflect, take some time to go through some of these um, these discussions and say, and here were some of my thoughts that I didn't get to share. So we call this Cut for Time. Uh, and joining me today for Cut for Time is Matt Agnew. Matt, thanks for, thanks for uh, helping discuss some of these past conversations from the week. You're most welcome. Okay, so let's get started with, uh, we have, you know, two to three 
discussions that we want to reflect back on. And the first one that I chose is uh, the one we had with Bella Strange, who's a makeup artist. She joined us on Wednesday. I'm trying to remember my days. And she was on Wednesday. You can also check her out, um, her work on Fashion Dish, Fashion Dis, which is an AMI TV show. But this is a clip from Bella explaining her own disability uh, and then telling us about using a power chair and what that means for benefit when it comes to her work up as a makeup artist. I am actually in a power wheelchair most days. I have severe rheumatoid arthritis in most of my bones uh, and joints. I broke quite a few of them growing up. So it's very hard for me to walk around. Um, so we always jo- joke like when I'm with my partner, when we're going to walk, I say we're doing a walk and roll. You know, because like yeah. rock and rolling, but walk I was gonna and rolling. Say, it sounds like a great tune. Walk and rolling. Oh, yeah. So how do you change uh, that up with your work then? And, and especially with with any pain or just even being in the chair, getting closer to people while you're trying to do them up on, on shoots or whatever they might be at and you're hired to do. Well, one of the great things is is I always have a chair. So that part's already That's covered. Right. The only never fighting over it. Exactly. I never have to worry about like, oh, my feet hurt. I'm already sitting. I'm perfect. (laughs) But I always try to have a chair that is almost, uh, if I was sitting with someone, they would be at my eye level. That really helps. Um, I know when I'm in school, like uh, doing courses and stuff, they usually have barber chairs, which go up and down. And those help significantly as well. And then with the wheelchair, I'll just go onto whatever side of the person's face that I need to work on, or I'll sit right in front of them. Um, So it's actually quite accessible for me. And it also helps the person that I'm working with feel calm because they're already sitting, right? It's like, it's a nice Mm. kind of spa feeling like, okay, I don't have to do anything. I just have to sit here and then I'll get to look like a superstar afterwards. So I'll start with that note um, right at the end that Bella was talking about sitting, making us feel more calm, more relaxed, more ready, prepared. And there's just something about the way she explained that, you know, being at eye level uh, with the person that you're working with and not, you know, you standing or they standing um, and, and makeup, it can feel like a very intimate experience and sometimes that can be uncomfortable especially if you're not used to it you know we're not all out here being movie stars and um putting makeup on every day by a professional so that one-off experience of dealing with somebody touching your face and and putting stuff on your face and you know like going through that whole process can feel kind of uncomfortable to begin with and so when she mentioned how it makes people feel to be uh, at the same level and sitting down and everybody sitting down um, and then being able to just go from there as a perk, I was like, yeah, that's very, very true. Because I personally, for, for times that I've had makeup put on, um, the makeup artist had, had always been standing. But my experience with Bella um, about a month and a half ago uh, when she was doing makeup and I it, – it, it wasn't spoken out loud that we were both sitting, but there was something that felt like a a different click um, that this person was sitting across from me and not standing. There's this, you know, we can all relax now atmosphere. So that was a really interesting thing that she pointed out. And then 
of course, her talking about taking matters into her own hand um, and, you know, saying, hey, I like this. It means that I don't have to stand. It means that I don't have to uh, have sore feet and I can move around. I've already, you know, I've already familiarized myself with the situation. I can move around you. I can uh, turn. I can do whatever I need to do to get the job done, um, which is a very confident way of speaking about your situation as a power wheelchair user. So, you know, just to throw out that whole conversation, Matt, I felt like there was um, a lot to be taken into consideration, even if you're nowhere close to doing the same things that Bella does, even if your disability isn't uh, relatable um, or your, you know, situation at all isn't relatable. I just felt like at some point, you know, in her process and her journey um she decided that this was not going to be a problem it was going to be part of the solution um and it's very sometimes it can be very difficult to get there um i remember initially when i was going to job interviews forget job interviews even school uh i was like i don't want to be seen with my white cane and this was after i started using my white cane regularly like it was part of my everyday life it was an extension of me it was my my tool my device and i still had moments where i'm like oh i'm going to be judged uh, i can't do this i don't know if i'll get the job all because they were seeing me walk in with my white cane and i felt like my confidence was just plummeting um thinking about the way that I would respond to them responding to my cane. And it was awful. And I had to go through um, a lot of, you know, self-talk sessions as well as uh, just being able to flip the situation, like actually fake it till I make it, you know, walk in with the white cane and say, hey, yeah, no, this is me. Um, Here's my white cane and here are my accommodations and actually put everything on the table with some assertion with some confidence uh and then even if i didn't feel that way inside i had to make that the situation so that a i can believe in myself and b you can believe in me and you can believe in me doing this uh job right so it was quite like quite a quite a difference um from when i first started but also to hear this conversation with bella and talking to her and and hearing that not she's not even necessarily focusing on her disability she's focusing on you as the the person in the the makeup chair and saying let's get you feeling good let's get you feeling um amazing and let's have you love putting on makeup and feel beautiful and here's how i'm going to help you do that and me being in this this power chair um it puts me at an advantage to help you do that because we can all relax. We can all uh, be at ease and get the job done. I thought it was just, you know, a fantastic way to present yourself um, at the core uh, of the discussion to present yourself in the, 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 um, the, the role that you want to do, AKA being a makeup artist. Matt, what did you have any uh, comments or response to what we heard from Bella? Yeah, well, I mean, you know, Ramya, self-confidence, I think, is a long and non-linear journey. Uh, yeah. Personally, you know, I, I really struggle sometimes with, with that sort of imposter syndrome. And, um, y- you know, just feeling that that confidence in your own skin, confidence in your own space, um, that, that sort of thing. And, mm-hmm. you know, listening to you and listening to Bella, I mean, that's a, that's a big part of it, especially professionally. 
where you can you know be be sort of in control of your own space and as you're saying bella is inviting her clients to come in and she's trying to make them feel comfortable but it's it's almost less about accommodation at that point you know it's, it's really just is your client going to sit or stand because you're in a in a power chair um, right. But just kind of inviting your client into your space and being confident enough to say, this is how I'm going to do this. And this is what I'm going to do for you. Um, that really just gets them confident and, and to trust you and, and to know that you know what you're doing, uh, especially people who maybe don't get made up all the time for TV and, and that sort of thing. But um, yeah, just just really pushing through that imposter syndrome or through that you know lack of self-confidence and just saying, this is my space. This is the space I need to work in. Uh, this is how it's going to go. And this is what I can do for you. Um, and getting that client to, to just put your, put them in your, your hands and, and trust in, uh, in your mm. skills. And, um, yeah, self-confidence is a, is a, is a hard thing to master, I think, but it, it really, um, goes a long way when, when you get there. Yeah. And I, I really um, appreciate what you say about the trust as well. Just a, a quick response. Um, it, that's a big part of it, right? Like you're nervous that these people won't trust you. And that's right. the kind of thing that you you feel like you're faking till, or it doesn't have to be faking, but that you're trying to convince them that, yes, you can let go um, and I'm here to to help. Yeah, exactly. I, I can do this for you or I can do this job. And mm-hmm. uh, you know, here's the things that I used to to make that happen but um here's here's the result and and get their get their trust that way mm-hmm. um i want to go back to tuesday's show i believe it was when you and kelly had a really interesting conversation about the ethics of pet keeping and this was you may have uh, raised an eyebrow when i sent this through i i have been a lifelong <laughs> pet uh pet owner um and so to get this article for me might have been interesting but uh yeah really it really shines a spotlight on the ethics of uh keeping a pet uh here's a clip from that segment it is dividing, like morally dividing, but also yeah. just in our own heads, we wonder if we're doing the right thing by saying, yes, but I'm a, I'm such a great, you know, you've heard this, right? I'm a good pet owner, or this person or that person is a bit good pet owner. Or uh, we even think of it with guide dog and service animals. Like, are you a good handler? Do you know what you're doing, right? But the And concept- to somebody watching you handling the dog. Yes, who doesn't exactly. know, they may have ethical questions that whether it's any of their business or not, or yeah. the trust has to be that they were trained properly um, and so on. But we all have our take on how that should be managed, how it should be managed. But also even like when we think internationally, we think here in, in North America, like it's normal for people to have dogs and cats and, and it's dog culture, cat culture, pet culture, right? But uh, my mom, actually, the the biggest reason why we didn't have a dog growing up is because her idea of having a dog as a, quote, pet was so different in Sri Lanka uh, compared to having indoor pets here. So, you well, know, in, you, in certain places. You've got a note places, here, Ram, that says in this item that in another study, 90% of Britons uh, who own a pet think of that pet as a member of their family. So, so that's me. I have owned four dogs over the course of my life um, and, and growing up. And I've always thought of the dog as, as a part of the family. Um, I, I realize that that relationship really varies, you know, maybe by region, um, whether you're, uh, you know, sort of a, a city or a farm family with, with, you know, the farm dog. I've known a few people who um, they, they love their dog, but the dog doesn't come inside and they're a farm dog and they have a job to do and they uh, sleep outside. 
um, but they wouldn't consider putting really any money into life-saving uh, veterinary care because, you know, it's a dog and you can't put your family's finances and future uh, on hold to help the dog, right? And so there's sort of a few rungs down on, on the ladder. Um, but then all, all the way to the other end of the spectrum, uh, where some people might not even really consider the dog part of the family or, you know, it's, it's just, um, you know, it's an animal and sure you can call it yours because they, they visit you most often, but they're kind of just out there wandering around and they stop by, but, uh, you know, there's sort of their own being. So I thought this conversation was really interesting and I, I definitely pick myself on that, you know, one extreme end where the dogs is the family member, you know, I would put myself in harm's way to protect my dog. Uh, whereas, you know, a lot of people, I think, view that as being the responsibility the other way around. Um, but uh, yeah, it's, it's really interesting how it, how it varies by region. But I thought this article talking about the ethics of, of pet keeping and kind of painting it in a light that, um, you know, we dominate every aspect of their lives, whether the dog keeps their uh, sex organs or the dog, what the dog eats and their routine and all this kind of stuff. And, you know, the, the part of me that has owned four dogs wants to just, you know, immediately say, no, that's that's silly. You know, like as, as the caretaker of the animal, you have to sort of define the routine and make the best decisions for their health and, and things like that. But if you take a second and, and put it under a microscope, there really is a very dark side of the pet industry. Um, where, especially when you look at the food they eat, it's ultra processed. Uh, I'm in the middle of reading a book right now called The Forever Dog, where they're really kind of examining what it is that we feed our pets, how animals, especially dogs, have co-evolved with humans. And the same health issues that are uh, plaguing humans are, are besetting our pets as well, uh, such as diabetes and cancer. And and a large part of that is is sort of the agricultural revolution and... and um, uh, highly processed foods, and it's sort of exploring a, a raw food diet option for dogs. So, I mean, the, the decisions that we make for our pets, whether you agree fundamentally that pet, keeping pets is ethical or not, um, you know, there's a real responsibility to keeping pets. And every time Daniel Jonkine comes on the show to talk about, you know, please don't get your uh, kids a dog for Christmas. Uh, that often mm -hmm. comes up around this, the, around that season and, and the holidays. Um, she encourages people to wait, wait until um, you can really think it through because it's not just a cute puppy under the tree with a bow on. Uh, it's, a, it's a real lifelong responsibility. And I think that's kind of where my worldview is at, Ramya, where I, I kind of look at humans at the very least as as caretakers um you know the owners i i think and and looking at animals as property um i think is not really the way i view them i, I don't view my dog as, as property you know i i view mm -hmm. jack as my responsibility uh to care for for his whole life um even to the point of perhaps some financial hardship uh if he has mm. health issues and, and things like that but um, you know, really looking at people as caretakers of their pets. And so, you know, whenever Danielle talks about that responsibility um, to to really think about whether or not this is something that you can commit to, you know, don't just run out and get the cutest puppy on sale at PetSmart. Um, yeah. You know, I, I, I feel that. But interestingly as well, like uh, there's a lot of studies um, and a few referenced in that article um, about whether or not animals really have, you know, 
personality or have they just learned to manipulate humans? And I think there's an interesting balance between <laughs> what is, and I do believe that animals have preferences, they have personality. Um, I've seen a lot of differences between the different dogs that I've owned um, and, and certainly a lot of personality there for sure. Uh, that, that can be chalked up to more than just them trying to figure out the best way to get food from me or shelter from me. <laughs> but I also think, and I think memes are a perfect, uh, internet memes are a perfect example of this, of, of, of anthropomorphizing or assigning human attributes to uh, to pets and to animals. There, we do a fair amount of that as well uh, when you really take a, a look at it, you know? Yeah, we absolutely do. And and we talked a little bit about that um, when we first discussed this article. But there's definitely so much to think about, especially with the the exploitation on exploitation on a bigger picture level, Matt. Matt, thank you so much. That was cut for time. And we do this on Fridays before we wrap up the show officially, which we will do after the break and get a hold of our friends from the neutral zone to see what they have coming up at 4 p.m. We'll be right back. Already at the end of the show. Wow. Fridays fly by, but usually these two hours fly by anyway because we have such interesting things to think about and then we reflect on them and then we talk about them during the breaks and then boom, 2 to 4 p.m. gone. But it's okay. We're back on Monday. So you don't have to worry. Uh, we had some great discussions. Um, I'll tell you about uh, our app update with John Beeler where we discussed a few things, including some security breaches got to watch out for. The Apple Watch is doing some great things, including potentially detecting some heart attack symptoms um, before, like way early in the stages before you even realize. So that's something to look forward to. You can check it out on our podcast platform. Um, well, that segment on Kelly and Company on your favorite podcast platform. Also, if you want to take a quiz that will pair your favorite food... I don't know if you'll actually pick your favorite food or you'll just do what Ryan Huey did and just type in a bunch of foods um, that will pair your favorite foods with your with an audiobook recommendation. You can do that. Book Riot has put up a quiz on their website for the details. You can check out our chatty bookshelf today again on your favorite podcasting platform. Now, let's find out what's coming up on The Neutral Zone. This is starting at 4 p.m. Eastern time on uh, AMI-audio. And that's every Friday where the gang talks all things sports, parasports, mainstream sports, all type of sports. Brock Richardson is the host of the show and he's here to give us a preview. Brocky, having a good week? I am having a good week and you just established that uh, this is our last handoff is because the Neutral Zone has announced a couple of weeks we'll be going to a uh, video podcast. So I'll be mm -hmm. previewing what's coming up on the neutral zone in a different way when I come on and do the sports. But it seems kind of bizarre when you sit and say, yeah, this is our last handoff with you and I. Next week will be Kelly. But it's, yes. Uh, yeah. Yeah. With the solo shows on Fridays and, and all of this, you know, toss up of who's filling in where you never really know. And then it just sneaks up on you. But also for like you're saying, Friday routines will feel very different without you. I know. On here, uh, it, yeah. it'll be very, very. I mean, I could make an appearance, I'd be totally okay with that. Oh, okay, thank you. <laughs> In case you're we welcome. need you, right? That's what you're saying. If we need absolutely. to fill time, absolutely, absolutely, I can, 
I can ramble on. Anyway, what's uh, coming up on. on tonight's edition of the Neutral Zone is Brianna Hennessy is a canoe kayak parasport athlete. And she's going to come on and tell us her story. She just came off of two medals at the World Championships. Plus, then we're going to chat about the importance of coaching, the importance of family, and the importance of self-confidence and the purpose, giving you a purpose to live as an athlete. We're going to have that discussion. Plus, then we're going to chat about the Toronto Blue Jays and some other mainstream sports in the final segment. I am so excited for that conversation on, you know, the purpose of living as an athlete. That sounds really enticing uh, and very good. Brocky, do you have a favorite hoodie? A favorite hoodie? One that keeps me warm. Yeah. Does that count? <laughs> okay. <laughs> I mean, like, of all the hoodies you own or, you know, I guess any kind of cozy clothing, do you have a favorite? Uh, yes. My friend bought me a... Um, a sweater that I really like wearing and it's because it's got some sports stuff on it uh, but it's nice and warm so yes I do have a favorite okay and rapid fire wrap or sandwich quick 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 uh, wrap okay done no need to explain why thank you Brocky have a good show at 4pm you have a good Brock Richardson of the Neutral Zone giving us a preview and you can uh, stay tuned after the break on Kelly and Company for the Neutral Zone. Uh, We have stuff coming up on the Monday edition of Kelly and Company that you don't want to miss. Waymo has designed some new features to improve access for passengers and we're going to get the scoop on that with Michael Babcock. Of course, Brock will be back with our sports and Grant Hardy is going to tell us about uh, the AMI-TV this week feature on Violet Peterson. Looking forward to that one. Bonterra announced the unveiling of its new show-stopping floating art installation on Lake Ontario. And its goal is to help um, improve biodiversity and increase the habitat for plants. That sounds really intriguing. We're going to talk more about it. We also have Know Your Rights with Danielle McLaughlin. And that's a wrap for today's show. Some credits to our team. Producers along with myself is Jeff Ryman, as well as Marianne Dion-Jones. We have our technical producer behind the scenes today, Matt Agnew. Also, our technical audio technical supervisor is Paula Deneen. And the manager of AMI-audio is Andy Frank. On behalf of myself and Kelly McDonald, have a great Friday night and weekend. I popped popcorn for the very first time without it being microwave popcorn. So this was a huge accomplishment. I mean, it didn't really feel like a huge accomplishment. It just felt like a first, like, hey, cool, I've tried this for the first time. But it made me think about the years that I spent getting comfortable on the stove and getting comfortable utilizing the kitchen and um, actually (laughs) not being unsafe and starting to use things to help uh, with the safer ways of doing things when it comes to cooking, like actually using oven oven mitts and moving up to silicone oven mitts and, uh, you know, using pots with legit handles and actual lids and not just putting things on medium high all the time, but, you know, learning to cook on lower heats and why that might be helpful. So, Anyways, going back to the original message, I cooked, popped popcorn on the stovetop for the very first time. But, I mean, it 
I don't even know if it really counts. Yes, it was done and the kernels popped, but I did actually rip open a bag of microwave popcorn to then put it on the stove because, and this is the real message, I don't have a microwave. I've been reheating things without a microwave for almost a year um, because I don't want a microwave anymore. So it was a pretty big transition for me because I grew up with a microwave, put majority of everything back in the microwave to reheat. Uh, I think there was a period of time where I had a toaster oven, but since then, always been a microwave. And um, I actually made the active decision to say, hey, I don't have enough countertop real estate or kitchen real estate for that matter to own a microwave. So here we are doing things for the first time on stovetops because we are now almost a year without a microwave. I'm Margaret Shepard of the AMI podcast, Tripping On Air. Every month, my co-host Alex Hajar and I spill the tea on what it's really like to live with MS. Watch Tripping On Air on YouTube or download wherever you get your pods. 